Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Today's episode is brought to you by Hugh Kitchen. Hugh is a family-founded chocolate and snacking company focused on creating products that match ultra-simple ingredients with unbeatable taste. Built on a strong mission to help people get back to human, Hugh only uses simple, real, and responsibly sourced ingredients. Hugh obsessively vets every ingredient to unite unbeatable taste with unmatched simplicity. They go beyond what is easy and expected to ensure that their products and practices are ethical and put both humanity and a human body first. All of Hughes' products are gluten-free, dairy-free, refined sugar-free, and aren't heavily processed. Use code POD for 50% off your next purchase at HughKitchen.com. That's code POD, P-O-D, for 15% off at HughKitchen.com and found out why Hugh helps people get back to human. This is Brandon from Celestial Mystery Hour Podcast and you're listening to Monster Legend Podcast. Enjoy the show! Hello and welcome to Monster Legend Podcast. I'm your host Tanner. And this week we're still in Canada and we're in New Brunswick, the province of New Brunswick. Hope I'm saying that right. <clears throat> so New Brunswick. Too well. Oh god, I can't. Hey, <clears throat> talk. Okay. It's your New Brunswick when Samuel de Champlain and other European explorers began to explore the area that became New Brunswick in the early 1600s. They were met by the Maliseet. Uh, and Macaw peoples who inhabit the area lived along its rivers and coasts. The early French pioneers established settlements at the head of the Bay of Fundy and up the St. John River Valley, as far as present day um, Fredericton and called the entire Maritime region Acadia. 
The area was the subject of the numerous conflicts between the French and British empires during the later 1600s and early 1700s. The region was ceded to Great Britain in 1710, following the final defeat of the French in 1755. More than 5,000 Acadians were forced into exile from the lands by the British. Some of them escaped to what was then a remote and relatively, relatively uninhabited coastline along the coast gulf of St. Lawrence and Bay de Solores, where the these Acadian settlements grew and thrived. Today, this region is known as the Acadian Peninsula. In 1783, refugees loyal to the British crown began to land at the mouth of the St. John River in what is then part of the province of Nova Scotia. They were fleeing from the persecution and the aftermath of the American Revolution and came from as far south as Georgia and as far north as Massachusetts. These refugees were not all British in uh, origin, but included German, Dutch, and Black Loyalists. Black Loyalists include a number of free slaves, but this but there were a small number of Loyalists who brought their slaves with them to New Brunswick. Uh, uh, this contentment with the government in Halifax, uh, Halifax uh, as an establishment of the area north of the Bay of Bundy as a new uh, province of New Brunswick in 1784. By 1785, some refugees had landed at settlement Settled at the mouth of the St. John River, that the king granted a charter to the new city of St. John, first incorporated city in Canada. The capital was established at Fredericton, 114 kilometers up the St. John River. Scottish and Irish settlers began to settle in New Brunswick in the early 1800s. A large number of Irish escaping from the hardships of the potato famine made their way to St. John and the Merrim. Michi River region in the 1840s. Later, immigration included a few hundred Danish settlers in the 1870s, whose communities in Victoria County exist today. A significant number of Jewish immigrants came through the port of St. John from the 1890s to the beginning of the First World War. A number of these immigrants remained from to form Jewish communities in the St. John, Moncton, and Frederican uh, <coughs> Italian, Greek, Lebanese, Chinese, Korean. Vietnamese, Indian, Pakistani, and African Canadian communities have themselves throughout the past century in the major cities. New Brunswick was one of the first provinces along with Ontario, Quebec, and Nova Scotia to join together to form the Dominion of Canada in 1867. As part of Canada, New Brunswick has experienced immigration on a smaller scale from all over the world and today boasts a variety of increasingly multicultural population. So, uh, so some, uh, uh, you know, I'm dying here. Um, let's get him coming up. So, uh, you guys like on your turkey? I like cranberry sauce. My turkey's pretty good. Some famous people from some famous people from New Brunswick. Donald Sutherland. Oh, man, he's awesome. Uh, George Edwin King. Henry Emerson. I think I like it. He's really good. Uh, Brent Summers. Uh, John D. Wallace. I told you. Rob Young. I told you my name. Rick Brown. Aaron 
Lice. Dude. Is Dawson still alive? I think he is. Oh, watch out. Uh, yeah. Dawson, oh, was it one of you then? Like the mind watchers? He's awesome. Anyway, uh, so it's giving up pies. You got, uh, the mashed potatoes rolled, green bean casserole. Okay, first monster of New Brunswick. Like Utopia Monster, also known as Old Ned, the lake monster that allegedly inhabits Lake Utopia in New Brunswick, Canada. The creature has been described as bulky, 20 plus feet tall, feet in length, having a large head, being reddish brown or dark red in color, etc. Uh, Cryptologist Norma Stewart claims that the last sighting of the Lake Utopia Monster reported to her was in 2000. Last sighting of the creature reports in newspapers was in 1996. She believes that the creature travels back and forth between Lake Utopia and the Atlantic Ocean every three to five years, possibly for a breeding or feeding cycle. Also notes that the creature loves to bask and is never vicious either. It is possible that the Lake Utopia monster is actually an oarfish or giant eel. Okay. Sightings. Monster. And the signs in eighteen sixty seven, sawmill worker claims to see something thirty feet. Long and 10 feet wide, thrashing the lake with similar parts over the following days. 1868, a St. Croix career reporter says he and one other witness saw the monster. 1872, natives described a terrifying monster with a large head and bloody jaws following their canoes. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. What's, what happened? Uh, 1891, William Prince's Canon reports in his notebook a description of a monster described by a lumberman who claimed to have seen it 20 years prior. It was dark red in color, part showing above the water was 20 feet long and a big and as big as round as a small hog's head. It was like it was much like a large eel. 1969 a St. John Evening Times Globe reports on an interview with Mrs. Fred McKillop Sr., uh, who said she saw a huge creature 18 years earlier. It, quote, she's quoted as saying, It looked like a huge black rock. It moved up and down a lake, boiling <coughs> and chewing the water, making great waves. Uh, 1982, 
Sherman Hyde says he and his family saw a large creature that looked like a quote a submarine coming out of the water with spray on both sides it was about 10 feet or 3 meters long and put me in mind of the back of a whale end quote 1996 Roger and Lewis Wilcox were canoeing on the lake when he saw ripples break the plastic surface 100 meters away from them. It was heading towards the Cannonball Island, a common monster sighting spot. Wilcox reports the monster has been as being 40 to 50 feet or 15 meters long, lying upward, not sideways. So let's, uh, I think, uh, mammals go dead. And like reptiles go like that. There's a spine stuff. Uh, 2016, Roger and Carl Settle were walking along the beach at 11:30 p.m. Dude, it's so late. Let's be walking the beach. July 7th, 2016. When out of the bushes appears a giant pink monster. Never had they believed in this blood-sucking monster until that day. Yeah. Roger and Carl Settle. I was like, uh, Roger McCall said, oh, I don't think you're selling cats at the Lake Monster setting. Uh, yeah. What else we got here? Yeah. Oh. Okay. My stuff. Tote Road, Shagamaw. Hell. A Latin for a bipester delismosis is a creature whose origins lie in traditions of the late 19th century North American lumberjack oral tradition. Even by the standards of the other fearsome critters creature originating through pioneer campfire tales, the Tote Road, Shagamaw of Maine's bizarre animal. Its legs end in cloven hooves like those of a moose, yet its arms turn, terminate in bear-like paws. And so it switches between walking on its feet and hands every quarter of miles. It has been led to several distances of fisticuffs between woodsmen, as these fellows accuse each other of being unable to tell the difference between the tracks of a moose and those of a bear. The Shagamaw were first identified by one Gus Demo of Otto, Maine, experienced logger and trapper who species as a history of mimicry has not seen human surveyors tracing perfectly straight lines through the woods spirits to dry and inhabit these men as it only counts to 440 the number of steps it would take in a quarter of a mile it had to invert this method of locomotion like cockwork weird I don't have that bookmarked for okay uh going for four minutes um, okay uh all right uh oh ain't much on like monster what i'm trying to find some i'm looking at some stuff for new monsters the monster dance convention and new 
Oh yeah. What you know now? Details of news. Hoax? Canadian captures Bigfoot on camera. A man has released a video he, sa he says contains a quote Bigfoot creature roaming the woods of an undisclosed location in New Brunswick. Alec McCrath last Friday said he captured the image help of a trail camera and some apples I've got some possible Bigfoot evidence here for you from my trail cam I typically have my camera out uh, on picture mode but this time I decided to put it in on video mode he said I have my trail cam set to only take 10 second videos McCress a musician who also likes creating famous movie scenes says the footage additionally contains some unusual audio you can also hear uh, sounds and tree knocking in the background. And this, before the video stops, you can hear a loud, louder call being cut off. The second video at the at night shows a pair of shining eyes moving behind the thick vegetation. There are also, there are also whoops and primate-like sounds that can be heard throughout the short film. Uh, I will try to get that in there. Video unavailable. What? No. What's going on? claims he usually leaves the apples at the same spot only later seriously but now he says he knows what happens oh he knows what has been eating the fruit it's quoted saying so i look through my pictures and see the apples in the first few pictures and all of a sudden there are no apples gone no idea why until now according to some bigfoot researchers the unproven creature has a taste for apples is usually spotted around fruit trees. AJ Marson, member of the Cryptic Research Organization Team Rogue, says he has a theory about Bigfoot's eating habits. Apples have a key, some key role for nutrition. When it comes to looking for cryptids, because of the majority of the stories I've read, we find apples as indigenous fruit that were there in the Himalayas, Ukraine, and China, all through the Northeast, and even up in the Oregon areas. Alaska. They all have apples, so it's something that holds a lot of vitamins and nutrition. And sugars that a large animal wouldn't eat regularly. Back there, I would find a bunch of apple trees that have been overgrown by other bushes, but you still see the remnants of the crab apple. Which is a good source for deer and moose and bear and the cryptids around them, explains Marston. Uh, last year, a pair of researchers in Australia released 
a controversial video showing a similar creature that locals refer to as Yowie. Um, they also claim to have baited the perverted animal with apples. Video tried to bounce a critics and curious viewers who believe the images were nothing but a hoax. The two men to this day maintain the footage is real. Reach me. Which we watched watch this. Leachman's tree cam on 29th of March 2014, Saturday. This is the Yowie. so bright though Hello everyone, this is Brandon, the host of the Parunity Podcast, wanting to take a second to tell you about our show. The Parunity Podcast is your top choice for closing the distance between the paranormal groups. From ghosts, to cryptids, to ufology, we will discuss it all. The Parunity Podcast is aimed at promoting positivity and collaboration between investigators, and is geared specifically for those in the field. But if you're not you'll still get a kick out of the show as well, because you'll be able to think of it like Ghost Hunters Talking Shop. Tune in and join myself and all of our amazing guests as we entertain you with sensational stories of fantastic places, events, tips for your investigations, and so much more. And remember, you can find the Parunity Podcast on your favorite podcast directory and part of the Paranormality Radio Network. Hey guys, this is Eric and Jessica Carrier, the hosts of the Prairieland Paranormal Podcast. If you're looking for a show that explores all things paranormal, with dramatic storytelling, historical research, relevant science, and witness accounts, check out our show online at www.prairielandparanormalpodcast.com or through your favorite podcast player. Today's episode is presented by Sweat Connected. Sweat Connected is a transformative way to work out. Sweat Connected has a mission to help you feel your best. Each expert instructor brings their signature method directly to you, wherever you are in the world, via Zoom. When you take a Sweat Connected class, you are able to interact with your instructor and other participants in class, just like you would in a live studio experience. Whether you have been a group fitness participant for years or newer, you will feel at home with Sweat Connected. Sweatnet Connected is exclusively offering our listeners 15% off their first class by going to sweatconnected.com and using the code POD. That's code POD, P-O-D, at sweatconnected.com for 15% for fifty off your class. Sweatconnected for all levels, all ages, all sizes, and all humans. 
Hey guys, this is Heather and Kristen, the hosts of Sinister Sweethearts podcast. And we want to share with you a little bit about our show. If you're looking for fun banter between old college sweetmates about all things paranormal, sinister, weird, and generally creepy, check out our podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. Are you looking for a new adventure? Did you ever want to visit the city where all your nightmares reside? Well, you're in luck. Join us, your tour guides, Christine and Jen, to visit Nopeville, where you will be personally escorted on an all-inclusive trip through the city and see all possibilities of terror and fright. You'll see all sorts of things on your tours, including, but definitely not limited to, the paranormal, true crime, the supernatural, and more. If you're into all that and enjoy a little dark humor, book your tour today and nope right along with us. Check us out on our website at nopevillepodcast.com to see where you can listen to Nopeville today. Uh, it's not clear whether McGrath's 10 second video has been doctored, even though the musician claims it is real. A quick look into the man's background shows his infinity to create animation videos and shares on a different channel. He makes no mention of this animation hobby on his Bigfoot video. Facebook users commenting on his article also point out that the video is most likely a hoax, as the man is originally using Ronald J. Moorhead's famous Sierra sounds. Ronald J. Morehand also come out in an article. Uh, it sure sounds like my stuff, which is copyrighted, Morehead wrote. Uh, say technology is accessible to anyone. Say technology is accessible to anyone with an internet connection have positively negatively influenced the way the public looks at cryptology by allowing pranksters and legitimate eyewitnesses alike to easily publish their stories globally. New Brunswick, a province in Canada adjacent to U.S. state of Maine, comprises a portion of the Appalachian Mountains. Okay, that's where way to end it. Cryptology news, everybody. Uh, 20 minutes, I think. 20 minutes. I don't feel 20 minutes. Uh, I feel like I should at least do an hour. Half hour, at least. Okay, uh. We got here, uh. Burr. Okay, well. So, uh. Got new stuff. I need some, like artists to help me out with like shirt like merch stuff I can't draw with shit I'm not good at stuff like that I want some super good drawing and stuff alert me I want to get your stuff out there mostly like draw stuff and you say like 80% of the money and get it out there get my, get my stuff out there people want to buy like yeah that sounds good podcasting you want to come on anybody want to come on the podcast or anything any questions actually those guys can leave a voice message 
on it. There's a little link. It should be a link in the bottom of this episode. If you have any questions or stories or anything like that, just leave a voice message. Be on the show. I guess. Like, uh, any questions about monsters or just about me or anything? Like, what is it? Well, how do you make the color purple? Why do you put red and blue together? Or, uh, how's grass grow? How's grass grow? How's grass grow? Grass grow. Uh, I guess they grow. I don't know. Cells divide, I guess. Like we do. Uh, New Brunswick. Oh, that one's in New Brunswick. Deep in the belly of the New Brunswick Professional Archives, several archives sit in the sorting room on a Friday afternoon, sifting through accountings of abductions, studies on flying saucers, and illustrations of extraterrestrials. These dedicated every Friday afternoon to sorting of thousands upon thousands of papers, books, and other objects donated to the archive by Stanton D. Friedman, Fredericton's uh, resident ufologist. Uh, originally from New Jersey, Fredman moved to Fredericton, New Brunswick in nineteen eighty for his wife Marilyn, a Fredericton native. This made the small city home to one of the most world renowned experts on UFOs until his retirement nearly forty years later. A New Brunswick Operational Archives requested Freeman's records and work following his retirement in twenty eighteen, memorializing his contribution to the legacy of New Brunswick. It's also important to Freeman to say have his research available to the public. He wanted all the information to be available without restriction, said Joanne and Austin Kerr, a manager at the archives. In January 2019, the archives began to move the Freeman's collection from his house to the provisional archives on the UMB campus. It took five cargo vans to transport it all. Man, how do you get all that stuff? It was his house. How big was this guy's house? He had five uh, uh, cargo vans worth of like papers and stuff. And like, ooh, it's enormous, she said. Never dealt with anything like this. A year later, archives are still working on their first sorting through his material. His work existed as piles and piles of papers, letters, documents, books, and other objects filling three entire rooms of his house. Bro, he was a hoarder, bro. What the fuck? There have been grocery lists, memos, business cards of random places, and in one case, a list of his favorite cheeses found amongst the correspondence with UFOs and ports of the flying ships. Freeman also had a large collection of some newsletters and pulp sci-fi from the 1950s, unrivaled by any other. He was really unique in how broad his scope of collection was, Joanna said. Uh, wow. Oh, it's at 84. 
suddenly passed away. He's died at 84. Staten, Pre Staten Freeman. Oh, you have, you have signings in New Brunswick. It's from Reddit. I was wondering if uh, anyone had any information uh, on the UF sightings and the promise dating back to the ground around the 1990s. My mother mentioned a sighting in 1993, and I was curious if anyone had anything to share, or even if they were aware of anything about the UFO sighting. Science was published in the newspaper around this time. Uh, I was asked by Daddy Binks6996 about two months ago. Uh, I am a lot of stuff fun. 23. Fenton Freeman lived in New Brunswick, was in the papers regularly. In 1990, uh, SJ security claim, guard claimed to have abducted, to be abducted. In 1983, a dude claims to have seen a saucer land near Fredericton. In January 1993, a woman in Woodstock found a lighted triangle object as it hovered above her backyard for 10 minutes. Source uh, Fritchin's Flying Saucer Guy by Sean Richer Jelly Cleaner, December 18th, 1993, age 14. I'm a lot of fun, 23. Also, plus again. Also, Freeman claims that there were signs of on Hanwell Road on August 23rd, 1988, at Greenwood Trailer Park. To use, use, uh, chase it in their car. On August 24th of that year, a woman saw a strange light on Honwell Road. There were also signs reported at Chipman, Beaverdam, and McLean Hill Road around that time. In the late 1970s, two people were reportedly abducted at Hanwell Road. So, source, uh, Mr. Freeman's, again, UFO expert looking to U.S. to reveal information in the Daily Cleaner, September 24th, 1988. for that. What? Um, look at this 
in Brunswick. Uh, site is dog shit. God damn it. Locations, uh, a red room. What's that? Okay, the red room. My grandmother lives in an old ten bedroom house from the turn of the century, early 1900s, in Woodstock. And I am unclear as to whether or not anyone has died there. But I've seen the same apparition on a couple occasions in the house. There's a room on the second floor with my cousins, and I call the red room because before we were born, my grandparents had a bright red carpeting put in the room. When we were kids, the room wasn't slept in. It was only used for storage, but we loved to play in there. When I was a teenager, the room got cleaned out, and we started sleeping in it while we were there. One night, my cousin and I were sleeping in the same in the room, and I woke up in a panic. And for some reason, even though it was summer, I was cold. And when I sat up in the bed, I saw in the corner, sitting on a pile of boxes, what I thought was another cousin of mine who was staying there with us, but sleeping in another room. I was wondering why he was just sitting there, watching us sleep. So I said his name and asked him what he was doing. He never answered, so I put his name louder thinking maybe he'd fallen asleep there. My cousin, who was sleeping beside me, woke up then and also started to say his name. Suddenly, he got up and walked across the room into the closet. Thinking he was playing a prank, we got out of bed and flicked on the light. We were both terrified when we checked the closet and he wasn't there. Don't you even know the Okay. Um, again, a few years later, my grandma taking on some boarders who were renting the rooms that weren't being used. So I rented the red room, and for privacy's sake, I would lock my door at night. The same thing as before happened. I woke with a gasp and shot upright in bed. The room was cold. It was winter this time, though, so not un so not unusual. Seeing that some same beaker who's that who I again thought was my male cousin so I fallen asleep rather early while watching a movie it was impossible I forgot to lock my door and he come in I called out to him but he did the same thing said nothing just walked across the room into the closet because I told him about what my cousin and I had seen a few years earlier I thought maybe he was pranking me so I got up and turned on the light Nothing in the closet, except <clears throat> my clothes. I was really freaked out, so I went to go downstairs, but my door had been locked the whole time. I'm 21 now, and I still don't feel right sleeping in that room. Ooh, creeper. Jack the Quack, what's this, what's this story about? Chat quick. 
Near 1888, citizens of London, England, particularly those of the poor district of Whitechapel, terrorized by a villain whose ghastly deeds have known his bloody name forever, Jack the Ripper. The Whitechapel community was ruling from severe economic recession to stark reality of starvation forced women into the streets as prostitutes. Here became a vulnerable prey. As each victim fell beneath the Ripper's bloody knife, the hideous mutilations of the bodies horrified the most seasoned investigators. When the British tabloids printed the gruesome photos, shock and fear turned to anger. Uh, vigilant mobs roamed the streets while Scotland Yard desperately scored for a man who disappeared in the shadows of the night. And suddenly as the murder began, they ended. But the identity of Jack the Ripper has remained one of the greatest mysteries of the 19th century. For a century later, these mysteries have given rise to unending speculation. Stuart Evans, a police officer with the Suffolk Constabulary, and Paul Ganey, a press officer for Suffolk Police, believe they now have the answer. Their investigations began with a recent discovery of a letter typed by a former inspector of Scotland Yard, naming one Dr. Francis J. Temperley as a prime suspect of the Ripper's slayings. Police, unable to hold him, suspicion of the Whitechapel crimes succeeded in getting him held for trial under a special law. <clears throat> the elusive Tumultly quickly raised bail, slipped through the Thai police surveillance, and escaped to France. He traveled to New York, following closely by a team of detectives from Scotland Yard in the lodger, the arrest and escape of Jack the River. Evans and Ganey presented a well-argued case of how Tumbley fits place time and circumstances surrounding the slayings. Drawing from contemporary American newspapers, probate, and judicial records, Evans and Gating have reconstructed the life and times of the doctor in North America previous to and following his daring escape from England. Among the highlights of his fascinating career was Tumbley's arrest as a conspirator in the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln? What? As well as he was once ousted from a hotel in New York City. <clears throat> These were two persons evicted from the hotel that day. The other being Charles J. Gutau, uh, who had, who three months later assassinated President James Garfield. Oh, what? James Garfield was assassinated? Yeah, he was, wasn't he? Uh, for a new Brunswick audience, the most astonishing aspect of Tumble's career is that he lived in St. John and may have claimed his first victim there. It was a late evening in October 1995 when I received a telephone call from a friend who had heard that two Suffolk policemen reported to have uncovered the identity of Jack the Ripper, a doctor, Francis J. Tumblethee. Six years ago, I published the story of a medical quack by the same name who has previously visited St. John or fleeing to the United States to escape manslaughter charges. According to my files, the doctor was subsequently involved in a conspiracy to assassinate President Abraham Lincoln. It was also reported in contemporary New York newspapers that... Um, uh, Timberland has began engaged as a surgeon for General McClendon's personal staff during the American Civil War. 
Last reference to Tembley placed him in Brooklyn, New York. He had raised the wrath of the Greenwood Cemetery officials in 1865. I had wondered what became of Dr. Francis Tembley after that. Now I was able to contact Constable Stuart Evans in Suffolk and compare our findings. That Dr. Francis Tumblety and Jack the River were the same man seemed too incredible to be true. Obviously, there were a 20-year gap between the two time he visited St. John and a winter ripper born his gory deeds in White Chapel. But given the small likelihood of two men sharing such a rare alias warrants a further investigation. Ron Keith of St. John was able to provide a documented proof of a letter acquired by his father, the late Gerald Keith, some years ago. On December 1st, 1888, Neil Smith, Deputy Minister of Marine in Ottawa, wrote to his colleague, James Barber of St. John. <coughs> My dear Barber, do you recollect Dr. Tubbley, who came to St. John around 1860, and who used to ride on a beautiful white horse, a long tail, and a couple of greyhounds following after him? Do you re recollect how he used to canter along like a circus man and do you recollect that it was asserted that he killed old Portmore the carpenter who built a statue to my house and fleeced me to a large extent do you recollect how he suddenly left St. John's circus horse hounds and all afterwards turned up a different place in the states in Canada he was considered by Dr. Bayard and others an adventurer and quack doctor He's a man who was arrested in London three weeks ago the Whitechap as the Whitechapel murderer. He'd been living in Birmingham and he used to come up to London on Saturday nights. The police have always had their eyes on him. Every place he went and finally the Birmingham police telegraphed to the London police that he had left for London and on his arrival he was nabbed accordingly. He must now be 58 or 60 years of age as he left St. John about 1860. He was a tall, handsome man and a beautiful rider. When I was in Eastport in 1860, detained by a storm, I met him there and spent part of the day with him. He was a very agreeable and intelligent. I don't think he would be the Whitechapel feed. He also spells his name uh, T-W-O-M-B-L-E-T-Y. I believe his first name was Mike Sullivan, Francis Tumblety, or Tumblety, or Tumblety, T-U-M-I-L-T-Y, or T-U-M-U-E-L-T-Y, was born in Ireland about the year of 1833. He occupied his families in North America in the early 1840s, residing with an older brother, Lawrence, who first appears at Rochester, New York, in the year 1844. Um. <sighs> uh. Oh, they were joined a few years later, a few years later, by his fa sister's family, the Fitzsimmons, according to the Roger Edward Haywood. Uh, a former acquaintance once told an interviewer, I remember Frank Tumulty very well. When he used to run around the canal. Across the fair.
Wait, okay. Both face. Oh, okay. So, ba ba ba. Doctor High Solution. So, I think this guy from Carpenter. I'm reading this whole damn thing. I'm reading this whole goddamn thing. Basically, uh, guy, I think, guy from Doctor Killed Carpenter in Canada. I think. Or somewhere, I think he's um, Jack Ripper came from like, yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, I'm hungry, I'm gonna have some dinner, I'm gonna have some dinner. Perk, I'll see everybody go. go. Mm, I have a question for everybody listening, for a whole 30 people listening. Um, if you were to make a monster cryptid that for like Thanksgiving, it's not it's not a giant turkey monster. Okay, if you make a, a cryptid that's um Thanksgiving themed, what would it be? Let me know. Send like emails or message me, and I'll talk about it next episode. Thanks. Have a good one. Thank you for thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Monster Legend Podcast. Hope you were able to find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We also have our own website at monsterlegendpodcast.com. If you'll be so kind, please leave a review and subscribe and let me know what I can do to make this show better for you. If you have any stories you'd like to submit or you'd like to be a guest, send me an email or a DM. But I hope you do one thing that's really important and have a great day. Thank you.